Hi there, this is uh, Chin Radio at 97.9, and uh, this is our Thursday program with Ernie Tannis, Gary Michaels. It is a program that we dedicate to alternative dispute resolution, and today, ironically, we uh, have Ernie on the road who is out taking care of business today. <laughs> Hi there. How are you? It really is interesting. I'm downtown trying to help negotiate, mediate a dispute in a family law matter with a number of lawyers, and uh, that's what the show is about today. Yeah. Listen, Ernie, yesterday uh, we had you on location at the National Arts Center at uh, a very uh, special event uh, which uh, was uh, put together by uh, the Family Mediation uh, of Ottawa, right? That's right, the chapter of the Ontario Family Mediators at the Panorama Room. It mm-hmm. was an interesting, our first, our first experience. They did a wonderful job there. And we did a broadcast from there on uh, mediation alternatives and all the resources and information. And, you know, yesterday and today, Gary, as you know, a number of people uh, who heard about this said, you know, we normally tune in on Thursdays. We'd like to hear the show. And last night at the University of Ottawa Tabaret Hall, Professor Abdullah Abed was very proud that the university announced the um, minor in uh, Arabic um, uh, language and uh, history uh, well well jammed. And a few people last night uh, talked about the show today. So that encourages us to play this again today. That's right. This is an encore presentation of yesterday's program, which uh, was a first for us here at Chin. Uh, it was, uh, was, uh, was broadcast live from, as Ernie mentioned, the Panorama Room. Now, you are going to hear some extraneous noises. Uh, the system that we were using was picking up uh, paper shuffling and people adjusting their microphones and what have you. But aside from that, you know, it, it went off very, very well, Ernie, and I was very, very proud and happy to, to have you out there doing it uh, yesterday. And, and you seemed very, very at ease with it as well. Yes, it was a great group. Uh, what they did yesterday, the guests were good. And one of the guests was Richard Patton. And you'll hear him say something about Parliament and its lack of civility. And it made me think of the high school teacher who takes his students to the Ontario legislature to show them how not to behave, how <laughs> not to talk to one another in yeah, society. So yeah. it's going to be a very insightful show. And I'm glad we're going to be able to have our regular listeners and others listen in uh, to what happened yesterday. So uh, you have an opportunity, uh, Ernie, of getting uh, taking care of business out there while we take care of business here at Chin. And again, I thank you for your contribution to the program. Well, we will go far with ADR. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay. By the way, I want to uh, mention a website uh, to you that you may wish to make note of, and I will repeat it at the end of the program. Is www.familymediationottawa.com. That's www.familymediationottawa.com and there's also a number that uh, you may wish to jot down Bill Cornett at 266-3896 and now with our encore presentations of a presentation of yesterday's program on Chin Radio. We're going to have on the panel here Colleen Curry who was on last week she's the president of the Ottawa chapter and Mike Coburn the past president and Pam Ford will be joining us in the second segment but we have the keynote speaker today is Richard Patton he's a uh, kindly join the group today. He's sitting here. If I can just do a short introduction and ask him uh, questions about um, everybody takes time to do things. He's kindly come here, and there's a reason maybe he's got an interest in the subject, and maybe he can talk a little bit about what he's going to say. Richard Patton, Richard Andrew Patton, in October 03, was elected to the Ontario Legislature for the fourth time for Ottawa Centre, and within weeks of the Liberals assuming office, he was appointed by Premier McGuinty to serve as parliamentary assistant to the uh, Minister of Education, which he fulfilled until September of '04, He was parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Economic Development and Trade and responsible for innovative proposals. And he's uh, parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Training, Colleges and Universities. He's got lots of uh, interesting um, 
parts of his life here in terms of different things in his political life. He took a hiatus at one point and uh, became CEO and president of the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario Foundation. That's beautiful. And prior to that, he's a graduate of Concordia and with the YMCA, which, of course, you know, Richard, the Y is doing some pilot mediation. Neighborhood projects are going to be with him in Montreal in a few weeks. Um, his vast parliamentary responsibilities keep him busy. He manages to find time for activities outside of work, such as skiing, cycling, and painting watercolors, and spending time with his wife, uh, Penny, and uh, who is a kindergarten teacher, and two children, Timothy and Chantel, nothing more important than family. Welcome, Richard, to the uh, session today. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Uh, Richard, maybe you could just explain to the listeners and the audience here what interests you about this subject. I mean, there's a lot of demands on politicians' times to go here and there. What would have been about this subject that would have attracted you? Well, uh, bringing people together and helping people to resolve situations rather than having third parties resolve situations, uh, uh, just as a principle of human relations, uh, seems to me to make more to make sense. Uh, we know that uh, in, a, in a legal context, it, it, it also is a way in which people can use alternative alternatives to expensive lawyers and uh, to the court costs that ensue uh, and um, can resolve situations with the help of uh, skilled mediators. Uh, it's a lot less expensive and uh, I'm absolutely amazed, frankly, that more governments aren't utilizing more fully uh, this whole area of, uh, uh, of mediation. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, one of your uh, friends here had a proposal. May I mention it? Bill has Bill comes and talks to me and gives me ideas about uh, where mediation can help uh, replace some of the aspects of uh, of, of court uh, court costs. Uh, for example, in the area of small business, we don't have mediation in this country, and yet in other jurisdictions, uh, it is utilized. And uh, uh, this idea was uh, was mentioned. Uh, uh, to me, I, 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 I approached our uh, Attorney General with the idea uh, just recently, and uh, he's open to it, and I'm looking forward to some fruitful discussions and hopefully uh, a whole new opportunity for uh, mediation to be part of a small business claims court. That's great. Uh, Gary, are you hearing us okay? Gary? You are coming through loud and clear. Okay, great. I just want to make sure I'm not in the studio with you. I miss you. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe if I, before I go on to the panel members, Richard, I understand that over the years, from my recollection, Better Business Bureaus in North America tried to bring mediation in for small business. That was tried in Canada, too, with Chambers of Commerce. And the Ottawa Board of Trade's original constitution from the early, late 19th century talked about arbitration as a form. And when we started up in our ADR in the 80s, they were going back to those basics about arbitration and mediation and business and uh so maybe uh, Bill is probably working in that area. These are the kinds of organizations that already exist that may be able to sort of bring that kind of service to the business community. Well, I, I mean, I would think so. I mean, I, from my point of view, it, it uh, first of all, I think there needs to be some general education, which I, I suspect is part of the motivation of the showcase here uh, today, uh, because people, members of the public, often are not very aware. Uh, or too aware of the options and alternatives they have available to them because the first impulse when you get into a conflict often is to contact the lawyer. Uh, I don't know how many lawyers immediately think of, well, rather than using our services, how about mediation services? Uh, why don't you explore that as a first 
you know, as a first option. So um, uh, I would think we have some work to do in terms of uh, people knowing what the services are, where they can make contact, uh, uh, where they can even explore what that means as an alternative to uh, the regular uh, procedures through a legal office or through, through the court system. Well, that's great. I mean, expensive lawyers, I guess, is not an oxymoron to some, but uh, I'm um, uh, mindful of the fact that we have a court and next mediation. As you know, Ottawa was the first in Canada. And now starting recently, as we all know here, there's going to be mandatory referrals for mediation and family law matters, which was excluded, although it's not mandatory mediation. And you talked about the showcase. Maybe uh, um, one thing you can touch on before I, uh, I ask uh, uh, Mike and Colleen is... Um, ADR in Parliament, I wanted to see if we can get some of the leaders in about how you communicate and problem solve in a minority government, how do you communicate and use ADR among parliamentarians and so on. Do you have any comments about using those principles among our elected political leadership? You're pulling my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Not in my backyard, uh, eh? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think it's a good point. And, and uh, quite frankly, uh, um, uh, often I am dismayed to see how poor uh, I'm making a general statement how poor uh, politicians come at resolving conflict. Uh, often, uh, many of them come at it from a legalistic point of view. Uh, they try to corner the other guy and they put pressure on him or her until they back down, this kind of thing. I mean, it's a very immature institution. As a matter of fact, uh, politics generally is extremely immature, in my opinion, in the way in which... Uh, uh, its legislatures and uh, its parliaments uh, sort of deal uh, with business. What they call debate is not debate at all. So it's it's a major area of reform. And uh, I could get off on a tangent here, but I won't for today. But uh, we want to talk about legislative reform yeah. and how how politicians uh, and governments work in their own legislatures is not a good example of the ways, uh, of the, certainly of the principles of mediation, of bringing people together to resolve, uh, resolve uh, issues and uh, uh, building a context that is supportive, uh, an environment that is supportive of, uh, of give and take and, uh, and of cooperation. That's great forward thinking. Maybe EDR in Parliament would be a great topic uh, for a subject matter. And um, maybe we could, you talked about the showcase today. Uh, I wanted to maybe go to Mike Coburn. Last week we had uh, Colleen Curry on the show with uh, with William Kernett at uh, on last week's show. And um, Mike, welcome. Thank you. Mike Coburn is the principal of Positive Resolutions Mediation and Consulting. He's a supervising mediator for the Family Mediation Program of Perth Superior Court. He provides mediation and consulting services to government, community, and business clients in areas of workplace conflict, human rights, and commercial disputes. He's past president of the Ontario Association for Family Mediation Ottawa and has a graduate certificate in ADR from Laurentian University and a master's candidate in the uh, program at Royal Roads University. That's great. You're, you're, you're bringing the academic and the practice, which is often the rift that really is a problem, uh, Mike. And what, yes. uh, uh, what you're going to try to do today here is, is deal with some of the problems. And maybe you can talk about... Um, uh, your views of uh, the theory behind today. It's Mediation Week. You might want to mention that. And uh, a couple of the workshops that are going on um, that you might want to mention today in our first segment. Okay. Thank you. Um, I guess the general idea is uh, FMC Canada, which is Family Mediation Canada, has an idea of creating Mediation Week and essentially declared that as the first week in February, so, uh, a few years back. 
Um, locally, there really wasn't much activity. And we just, uh, as a local chapter, the Ottawa chapter of Ontario Associated Family Mediation decided that it's something that was important, that we increase the awareness of mediation and ADR in general to the community. And over the last year, we've been working on organizing this uh, showcase. And the idea is, is hopefully that folks come down, uh, not just people that are familiar with ADR, but also general public, and get an idea through our speakers as well as our um, presenters. We have some uh, people providing uh, have booths here, providing information on what they do in ADR. And it's a vast uh, group of people. From um, uh, from youth to uh, mediators. Yes, I know the UCAN's here, and uh, it's a great organization. Uh, known them for many years, and I guess Colleen can talk about some of the uh, some of the sponsors. There is a uh, uh, a workshop on uh, mediation, and separation, and divorce that um, Ken Swinburne's going to do. Uh, he's the uh, principal of the UFC United Fr uh, Family Court Mediation. He does transformative mediation training, and you do the Perth similar project. Can you talk a little bit about that little, that workshop that will be coming up this um, afternoon? What uh, Ken will be speaking on is, uh, I believe, the mediation in separation and divorce. A lot of people are becoming more aware of that since it's been introduced to Superior Court in Ontario, and how that works in terms of uh, what it provides for people going through, through divorce in terms of options rather than just simply going into court with lawyers and essentially what happens uh, as, as they enter court and the further along they get in the system, they, people tend to get into greater conflict. Um, mediation gives them a, a side road out of that conflict and possibly a way of de-escalating de the, the uh, tension between a couple and get to a point where they can constructively deal with their separation. Yes, and as we mentioned last week and today, uh, there's all sorts of emails flying out to lawyers and people about the uh, mandatory reference program now for mediation and family law. It's not mandatory mediation, but it's a mandatory reference, and I got a couple have to take a, a little bit of a workshop on ADR. They have to, the counsel have to explain to a judge why they're not using mediation, and the last email I, I saw yesterday was, it's not mandatory, but if you don't use mediation, all the judges are going to wonder why, so it's sort of a little bit of arm twisting, I think. Oh, hi, Esther. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, um, uh, would you want to mind, mention a little bit what you know about that program? Um, essentially, uh, that is, Ottawa's going to be a pilot program in some areas, and surprisingly it's been in the larger centers where there are actually more mediation services. People haven't been choosing it as an option. And uh, the assumption is that they really did not understand the option. Therefore, by making, a, making it mandatory that they do a workshop on ADR and the beneficial effects of that, especially when it comes to uh, children in conflict and how uh, it, it, it's well known that if couples mediate, kids tend not to get caught in, in a larger conflict and in ultimately do better. And again, the idea is that if folks get this information, that they then will choose mediation as an option. And, and it is a very good option. Uh, general success rate in the provincial courts runs about 75 to 80% of couples that, join, uh, that enter into mediation 
do have success through mediation. That's great. And that takes a fair number of uh, cases out of the court system as well. I think it's 40% in the civil litigation. I'm glad you mentioned about the children because we always say that the only way that children learn to go problem solving in life is how their parents deal with their separation and all the other theories not going to help them. And before we end this first segment, maybe you could talk a little bit about the estates and succession workshop you're going to do. I know that uh, for years I've been promoting alternative dispute resolution clauses in wills. Uh, where the provisions are that if any of the beneficiaries do not mediate or solve it and they take it to court right now under a state law, unless you say something that it comes out of their share, it comes out of the estate. And often you'll see beneficiaries saying, well, we don't care if they get it, but the lawyers get it. They, Richard, the lawyers are... And that's an awful thing. But an ADR clause in Wales, I find, makes people think twice because it'll come out of their share. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I'll be speaking tonight at 7, and... It, but primarily I'm going to focus on succession and succession planning and the role of mediation there. Um, right now, as people know, we have an aging population. So a lot of businesses are owned by folks that are ready to retire. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it's already an issue, but it's going to be a larger issue as these folks start deciding what to do with their businesses. Um, and mediation has a role to play, especially in family businesses where um, besides the, the potential conflict within the organization, there's also a fa family dynamic. You may have one member of your family that is working with the business, natural heir to the business. However, you also have other family members that see that as somehow, you know, that is their inheritance. Well, that's, that's very proactive. But when you said there's an aging population, why did you look at Richard and me? Was that just... <laughs> Oh, maybe that was subconscious or something. Anyway, we, maybe just before we uh, uh, go to uh, uh, Gary, we'll uh, go to a break, but I just want to uh, mention a story that uh, some of you may have heard. There were seven lawyers at the Court of Appeal on an estate dispute, and the judges, uh, five panel judges, said to the lawyers, oh, well, why, why are you not helping these uh, disputants solve this? Why, what are you at the Court of Appeal? And a very famous lawyer said, my lawyers, why fritter the estate away on the beneficiaries? But with that said, Gary, yes. we'll, go to, uh, we'll go to our break. We're going to come back and join uh, Colleen and uh, Pam forward, and then we're going to do a third segment, and maybe we'll ask Richard at the end of the third segment to comment a bit about what he will be speaking about today. Thank you, Ernie. You are uh, broadcasting live on Chin Radio, and uh, just to, to remind those who may have just tuned in, this is a, a special edition of our Alternative Dispute Resolution Program that is heard each and every Thursday, but we're running this special edition uh, today, and our regular program tomorrow will be aired as well with Ernie and, and myself. A uh, special uh, edition of this program is due to the fact that we are celebrating Celebrating uh, Mediation Week, and there's a, uh, a special forum happening at the National Arts Center in the Panorama Room, and that is where Ernie is broadcasting from this afternoon. We will get back to Ernie Tannis and his special guests in just a minute here on Chin 97.9. The Pizza Pizza Chef's lining up the offense. He's cooking up a delicious medium Italian-style deep dish pan pizza with pepperoni and mozzarella for just $9.99. With that, you get a two-for-one new movie rental from Rogers Video and get the same second and third pizza for just five bucks each. He's reaching into the oven. He's going deep, deep. Pizza Pizza's new delicious Italian-style deep dish pan pizza. A real fan favorite. 737 Come to Pizza Pizza. Hey, hey, hey. Soak up the warmth of Cuba's sunshine and relax at the fabulous Sol Serenus Resort in Veradero, Cuba. 
Chin Radio, Jerry Apsey, Selton Lejeune, and Ports of Call Travel Services invite you to join us for this first annual all-inclusive Chin Arabic Winter Picnic. Ottawa departure is March 19th, returning the 26th. Call and book now. Don't be disappointed. Ports of Call Travel Services, 238-2400. Espanol, Punjabi, Tagalog, Lebanese, Italiano. We speak your language on Ottawa's multicultural voice, Chin Radio 97.9 FM. Time is 12.25. It's a sunny day in Ottawa, the nation's capital. And uh, we go back to the National Arts Centre, the Panorama Room, and live on Chin, Ernie Tannis. Okay, thank you very much, uh, We've got uh, Colleen Curry and Pam Ford here on the second segment, and Colleen, of course, was on the show last week. She's the president of the Ottawa chapter of the Ontario Family Law Association. She's a lawyer and mediator. She's limited to family matters, mediating and advocating for clients on relational issues, works with clients for prenuptial cohabitation agreements and separation agreements that are tailored for their needs. She helps families resolve conflict in a respectful, non-litigious way, and she's president-elect of the... uh, Ottawa chapter. She's on the panel of the local collaborative law network. Yes, I'm on that panel with you. It's a great organization. And as a member of the Estates Planning Council, thank you, uh, Colleen. Maybe you can tell our listeners a bit and elaborate from last week on today's uh, program and your views of this, the, the philosophy and your vision for the future. Oh, I'd be really happy to do that, Ernie. The idea, as uh, Mike mentioned earlier and as uh, Richard Patton had suggested, was so important is to raise the profile uh, of mediation in the community so that people will think of the mediation option first when they think about resolving conflicts, whether they're community, workplace, marital, family, intergenerational, whatever they might be. And so we got in contact with uh, members of the community, and that's the public as well as the private community. We have exhibitors here from the federal government, the Department of Justice, which has a very broad-based campaign to promote ADR in their organization. And uh, the provincial government, we have the Attorney General here. And as you heard Mike Colburn speak in the previous section, um, the Unified Family Court Service, of course, is uh, funded by the Attorney General. We also have uh, universities represented. They offer conflict programs both at St. Paul's and Carleton, and uh, they're exhibiting. And uh, you can, which is the youth organizing to understand conflict and advocate nonviolence. And of course, we have private practitioners and organizations as well talking about the kind of mediation services they can provide. And this is all part of the Mediation Awareness, Awareness Week that uh, Gary mentioned and you've mentioned, which, of course, the mayor proclaimed last Wednesday. First time, eh? First time in Ottawa. So we're, And this is the first mediation showcase. So we've been pulling all that together to try and make the public more aware of how accessible mediation is, either publicly or privately. You don't have to go through a lawyer for it. You can go down to the courthouse. The Family Law Information Center will provide information about um, mediation as well as uh, other you know, legal services. And of course, uh, it's funded through the Attorney General's Office, the Legal Aid Organization, as well as the, uh, the Unified Family Courts uh, Services. And now, as you mentioned, we have the mandatory referral to mediation, which will be great. Yes, it will be. Uh, it will be great, and the uh, um, it's, it's a vast topic, and it's really good for uh, you know one person at a time. It's always uh, valuable for any one listener. You don't know what kind of impact it's going to have. That's Anybody right. that's here, it's really a matter of education, isn't it? It really is, and you know, there's 
we talked about small business earlier, and uh, that's you know you can do multi-party mediations, you can do one-person mediations, couple mediations, there's all kinds of um, ways to work with people to help them resolve conflict. Now the cost of the mediation, and Pam, I want to come back to you on this too, but I'm always curious about the cost of conflict in our society. In an instant, we can call and get police officers, we can get fire department, we can get also, even in labor, you can get full-time arbitrators and mediators. You know, I think we need, and this is where political leadership and people like Richard Patton is thinking, I think we need a situation where um, people can get facilitators and mediators on the public purse, like we can get judges on the public purse. I think the peace dividend, a small percentage, <clears throat> is what's needed at the political level to, to fund that. And I'm wondering, uh, um, you know, Pam, if you want, want to comment on that, and maybe to introduce you first, Pamela Ford is a registered nurse and graduate of uh, Carleton University. My wife, Yumna, was a nurse in Lebanon. It's a noble profession. Now she has to use all her skills to take care of me. Um, she, she should come down to this conference. I forgot to invite her. If you're listening, Yumna, come on down. She's had a very career over 25 years in government, business, and health care. Her experience includes both management and advisory positions at the national and international levels. Much of her work has consisted of working with people in conflict and crisis situations, a blend of experience and learning uh, to her current practice in family and workplace mediation, conflict coaching, and skills training. Coach mediators at Carleton University in the law department and the conflict resolution program. A recent award for superior healthcare services commitment is indication of her dedication. A native Newfoundlander, a lot of snow out there recently, and the, uh, you know, the Canadian Council of the Blind is having the world's first blind curling tournament this week right at the Ottawa Curling Center. And the Flying Fathers are going to be in New Brunswick uh, playing uh, 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 with Juan Gretzky's father this week. It just made me think of it. Uh, Pamela's traveled extensively, particularly in the middle and far east. That's my homeland. And has lived in Spain. She speaks English, French, and Spanish. I could say bonjour and uh, welcome in Spanish. What would be the Buenos dias. Buenos dias. <laughs> Pamela Ford, maybe you want to comment on... This, uh, this idea of the cost of conflict, uh, if you don't mind, and maybe your coaching workshop that you're going to do this afternoon. Well, Ernie, thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here and uh, to have this opportunity to talk about a subject that's uh, very dear to my heart. Um, this whole idea of the cost of conflict um, is huge because the cost is huge and in some ways immeasurable, although there have been attempts to... Um, uh, to measure the economic costs, uh, of course, the emotional costs and 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 uh, the stress to people, um, you know, we know as individuals because we know uh, the the uh, the high level of, of uh, the divorce rate. We know uh, as individuals what happens in families when uh, you know there are escalations and. Um, there are uh, estrangements within families, and, and people are living in unsatisfying relationships at home and in work. At work, um, seventy-five percent of stress in the workplace has been linked to unresolved interpersonal mm. conflict. And of that, um, uh, you know, these um, these costs have been estimated. To, uh, in Canada to represent something like $12 billion. Wow. So that's a huge amount of money. And in terms of accessibility, I was very interested to hear uh, the suggestion and the proposal that uh, Richard Patton talked about uh, regarding uh, businesses. I'm aware of a um, program, actually, in Alberta, which I learned about last year, where the government will 
works in partnership with municipalities, and they will pay a certain uh, amount of money um, in partnership with any municipal government uh, that or agency that wishes to um, obtain the services of a consultant to help them come in and design a conflict management system in the workplace uh, in, in acknowledgement of the increases in productivity and, um, you know, the benefits that can come of that because they're going to pay one way or the other. Yes. If they'll pay if they don't. And it's very subtle, isn't it? I mean, the, the, to get your head around those kind of uh, notions mm -hmm. in a society that's sort of a fast-paced uh, uh, instant blurb on TV or whatever about conflict, but conflict resolution, I learned through the media, is hard to report because it's intelligent and long-lasting. And how do you, um, for you, like, and you try to get the word out to educate people uh, what other ideas do you have in co coaching on conflict? I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. But well, yes, and and uh, I would like to talk more about that. Um, what sparked my interest in conflict coaching was my experience over the last number of years uh, in private practice. Um, and in terms of accessibility, I, I would like to just add that it really is easy to find a mediator. All you have to do is look in the yellow pages under mediation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I also am concerned about accessibility, and I offer sliding scale. Uh, but uh, in terms of conflict coaching, um, I was struck by the number of people who called in distress, in great distress, great anguish, really, but they could not come to the table because the other party either was not aware of the conflict, they didn't have the skills or were afraid to approach them, or when they did approach them, they would not come to the table. So there are, um, in, in the past, um, conflict coaching has really been used, and, and I would say that it burgeoned uh, a little bit more over the last 10 years. I, I would say, you know, with, with increased stress and the in increased fast pace of life, uh, it's used uh, as executive coaching, um, peer coaching increasingly. They kind of train the trainers, manager to manager, non-manager to non-manager. Um, but I'm interested in moving it out of organizations into the general population. You know, I think of examples of people who called me. For example, there was one woman who was totally distressed. Her sister hadn't spoken to her for two years since their mother had died, and she had just uh, found out she had a life-threatening situation. She had breast cancer. And her sister absolutely refused to come to the table. Another situation of a grandma who was terribly distressed uh, and at odds with her son and his wife over child-rearing techniques. There, there were numerous. And I found uh, on doing research that from 25 to 50 percent of people who present for mediation fall in this category. The other party just doesn't talk. So, you know, as a doer and a fixer, I, I was really concerned and wondered what could I do. Um, and I came across um, a special process that was developed in uh, at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, called Problem Solving for One. I've just started using it recently, and when people call now and the other party doesn't come to the table, I have a way that can help them take charge. Uh, it will empower them to do something in the situation about what is happening to them. And while it doesn't guarantee that the situation will be resolved, the very least uh, would be that they could step back and look at the situation 
with added perspective and be able to cope a little bit better with, you know, the negative fallout. And, and the very best that could happen is that they could be helped to resolve the conflict. Yeah, that's great. You know, I always like to think of world peace through inner peace, and you've got to start with yourself. You teach those things you need to learn, but uh, this idea of, of the one-on-one -on -one and people coming to terms with... Um, there's an expression I learned from the Lebanese, uh, blame the train. Like, uh, the train left and you missed it, so you blame somebody else for the right. problem. You point right. a finger when there's three fingers pointing back at you, right. that old phrase. So that idea of blaming, naming, and claiming, that old that psychology around all those theories about that, is that something that you, you address in the sort of what I like to call the deep-rooted emotions behind it where people have to take responsibility, it's a two-way street, it's not always the other person's fault, right or wrong, and those are the kinds of things you get into on a Absolutely. Coaching. It's a, a process of self-awareness, or what people call developing your emotional intelligence. It's that side of your personhood that for most of us has been absolutely ignored in our early schooling. The focus is on IQ and not EQ, you know, that sense of what's going, in on, what's going on inside of me. What are the triggers that are making me react? Uh, and, and, you know, what, how do I respond uh, when I get upset? And, you know, what is going on with the other person? Am I aware of, you know, what I do and how I do it and how I say it makes the other person react? And, and you know, can I help? them cope with what's happening to them and and how do I pull myself together and re-motivate re myself when I have a setback so this whole process helps people identify the areas where they may be weak and part of it certainly is um, you know identifying the gaps and and uh, training and coaching them on and empowering them to assert themselves a little better you know and and to perhaps learn a little bit more about Active listening and reflective yeah. listening, and the and the kinds of things that you know de-escalate uh, anger and conflict. You know, as Colleen said in, the, in all the speakers so far, like opening well, your mind, like you keep your mind open. Not open if you talk about IQ and EQ, intelligence and emotional quotient. I want to ask Ambassador McDonald, who's been a great mentor, what kind of thinking goes on at the levels of government in terms of problem solving, or even Canada taking lead in conflict resolution? Mm -hmm. What kind of thinking goes on in government? And he said, what thinking? <laughs> like, you know, um, in terms of, the, of that, it, uh, it makes me think that we need to go to another break, I guess. Gary, you're still there, I guess, in the studio? I am here, Ernie, indeed. Okay, when I'm um, wondering if um, we could, um, you know, think about going to a break, we're going to come back to a third segment with uh, Colleen, and we're going to talk about some of the other uh, programs for this afternoon. Thank you, Pamela. That's very inspiring. Uh, Thank you very much. I certainly learned a lot, and uh, we'll go back to the studio, and we'll return here for our third and final segment in a few minutes. And again, you are learning uh, a lot about mediation uh, as you attend this special uh, forum in the National Arts Center's uh, Panorama Room with uh, Ernie Tennis and uh, his very special guests, including uh, Richard uh, Patton of our provincial uh, government, uh, Colleen Curry, uh, uh, Mike Coburn is there, and uh, we we uh, we heard from other guests, and we will be hearing from uh, from others as well. And I thank you for staying with us on Chin Radio uh, uh, as we uh, continue to uh, educate more about ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. This is a special edition of our uh, weekly program at 97.9. Yeah! 
Come celebrate Black History Month Friday, February 24th at Library and Archives Canada, 395 Wellington Street. Enjoy fabulous entertainment featuring the seven-member Alakomi Band of Burkina Faso. Ticket information at 823-8322. The event is sponsored by the National Council of Guyanese. Don't miss it. The Pizza Pizza Chef's lining up the offense. He's cooking up a delicious medium Italian-style deep dish pan pizza with pepperoni and mozzarella for just $9.99. With that, you get a two-for-one new movie rental from Rogers Video and get the same second and third pizza for just five bucks each. He's reaching into the oven. He's going deep, deep. Pizza Pizza's new delicious Italian-style deep dish pan pizza. A real fan favorite. 737 11, 11. Come to Pizza Pizza. Hey, hey, hey. You're all World Station, 24 hours a day, all the time, 7 days a week. Chin Radio, 97.9. I want to mention, uh, just before we go back to uh, the National Arts Center and Ernie Tannis, along with his very special guests, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, Cheryl Antoine uh, will uh, do her regular weekly hit on A-Channel at about 8.15, and she'll have more uh, to, uh, to tell us uh, regarding Black History Month. There are so many events happening in and around Ottawa throughout the month, and Cheryl will have some uh, information on that as you catch her on A-Channel tomorrow morning at 8.15. And by the way, tomorrow is Cheryl's birthday. Ernie, didn't you just celebrate a birthday recently? Or are you? Every day. Oh. <laughs> Good Every day you. say thank you, God, for another day, and it's give birth to new hope. Right on. So carry on, Ernie. You're doing... By the way, this is really wonderful, and, and I have to say, uh, this is really a first for us here at Chin Radio, because, as you know, we're just, uh, just over two years old in Ottawa, and uh, I am delighted to say that, uh, Ernie, you are breaking new ground for us with, uh, with this remote broadcast from the Arts Centre, so hats off to you, my pal. Well, thanks to this association uh, for doing that, and uh, Bill introducing us to the uh, Polycom system. In fact, I'll be in Washington, as you know, two weeks from tomorrow at the uh, University in Washington, I've been honored to ask to moderate a panel there for the College of Law on ADR, its future impact on the law, and maybe we'll get one of these systems and bring it down if I can get it past customs. <laughs> anyway, well, anyway. listen, we'll pull a few strings. We have the American Embassy just up the street here. Oh, yes, I was trying to get the ambassador on. So we're going to enter our third and uh, uh, final segment. I'm sure we'll be having the group back here and uh, asking uh, Colleen, and we're going to ask uh, another one of the presenters, uh, Esther Van Gennep. Uh, welcome, Esther. Thank you. And we have uh, uh, Vesna Markovich in the audience. Hi, Vesna. Hi. Vesna, we did some work with the uh, Bosnian Election Society. She's been in uh, different parts of the world, so there's an international aspect of conflict resolution. It's like, uh, it's like water. Uh, Richard had a glass of water. It's, uh, it's half full, right? Not half empty. And uh, each particle reflects the whole. So whatever happens in each person's life happens to the human family. And part of that human family is uh, reflected in children in conflict and other programs. And maybe Colleen, the president, could talk about some of the other projects. We'll ask Esther to talk about her piece on Finley Mediation. Oh, I'd be really happy to do that. Um, a couple of uh, topics that are going to be uh, going to have speakers on later today is uh, on same-sex mediation and children in conflict. And the first one of those, same-sex mediation, is is really just to talk about the fact that when uh, couples are separating in a heterosexual relationship, the tendency tends to be to get them, you know, really disentangled and totally separate. But um, as our speaker, Michelle Southern, will, will talk about, uh, she did a paper in the Mediation Quarterly called Beyond the Dominant Narrative, 
was talking about the fact that in lesbian relationships, and I don't want to make an overgeneralization, but it's a smaller community, and often what happens is, well, there are some things you disentangle. You don't disentangle everything because there will be a relationship, often a very strong relationship that continues. And so as a mediator, you need to be thinking about and having different skills and asking different questions because the goals for the participants are quite different. For children in conflict, of course, it's a concern to all of us because these are our future citizens, but marriage and divorce, if the parents are really adversarial, if they're really high conflict, the impact on the children is enormous. And parents, even when they're not really in high conflict, they need to be thinking about uh, the ages and stages of the children. So, for example, if a couple is separating when the child is, let's say, under two, there's attachment issues. There's all kinds <laughs> of considerations that, you know, parents might not be aware of, of how many times, you know, the frequency, the duration that a, a child that age might need to see the other parent that they're not living with in order to maintain the attachment and, and, the, and make that connection and make sure the bond is really strong. So at different ages and different stages, that kind of information is very key to how they develop their parenting plan. We know it's a great phrase, you know, stages and ages. We talk about our children in conflict and then you get into violence and you get into breaking the law and so on. And so much of it comes out of this kind of stuff. We have a sort of this law and order agenda when we can have a love and order agenda. We can have the same kind of uh, much discipline better, much better. with a, sort of a different attitude. So. Um, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that, that, that's a nice message. But um, I'm just wondering, you know, that we need to think outside that box and the consequences to what we're talking about here and what you're talking about is so much broader, yes. is it not, in terms of looking at those deep issues? It really is because, you know, children model what their parents do and not just how they behave, but how they relate, how they love. And so if parents are, you know, end up using unknowingly their children as conduits for information or they're involving their children in decisions about where they're going to live when they're too young, the children get very confused. They're having to make choices and they're having to divide themselves up emotionally. It's not healthy for the children and then they have more difficulty in later life forming healthy attachments themselves. And then, you know, the cycle, the cycle, the cycle. Yes, and you know that those those cycles that it makes me think as I uh, introduced Esther Van Genep, who I've uh, known for years. We've done a lot of training together. Welcome, Esther. It's great to see you here. You're all over the place. She does a lot of work in the Native communities, and you know Esther and Desna and others from the Canadian Institute for Conflict Resolution will know that the community-based conflict resolution model of the CICR really uh, matured, to use uh, Richard's uh, word earlier about maturity, out of the. Um, intervention of the Mediation Center in Aquasasne, just near Cornwall during their civil strife, which Francis Boots came up to the other day at, at St. Paul's and talked about the mediation program. First time in 15 years with Professor Melchin and others that, that that project was spoken about, but they talk about the seven generations, and John Merrick goes on about that, and that you're always in the seventh generation, so that you think of your past and you think of the impact ahead of you. It's quite a profound kind of thing in the Native community. Maybe, Esther, as I introduce you, you might want to as you talk about community mediation, talk about some of the wisdom you, you learn and, and gather from the Aboriginal communities. Esther Van Gennep works in the field of community-based conflict resolution. She's an honored fellow at the CICR at St. Paul University, where she uh, delivered and implemented and developed workshops for third-party neutral training, mediation, managing change, cross-cultural, interest-based negotiation, facilitation, and training. She is the executive director for Coming Together Piece by Piece, which provides a spectrum of peace-building processes and services such as conflict resolution training, mediation facilitation, and community dialogues. And let's dialogue a bit, Esther, about 
what you're going to do this afternoon and some other insights you have from your work with the Aboriginal communities, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Well, this afternoon I'm going to be speaking to community-based conflict resolution, and it's about bringing peoples together to start talking about what is currently happening within their communities and looking and exploring different options and choices and start moving towards the mutually common ground. Ernie, you've talked often about finding that common ground, and you've said in the past that it's important to be on the ground and in the front lines, and certainly the work that you've been doing in Aquasasne so many years ago has resonated with CICR in the community and has um, helped shape other models and programs, such as the work that you mentioned with regards to uh, Vesna's work in Bosnia-Herzegovina, yes. where she's done some groundbreaking work bringing uh, war-torn community members together to talk about what other options and choices do we have. And um, a lot of this has also evolved out of some of the work that Richard was involved in with the Rwandan community and the Rwandan yes. genocide. And it's people sharing stories and their emotions and coming to a place where they gain not only new perspectives and insights, but to start exploring ways of doing things differently. Now, doing things differently is, um, I guess, finding the consistency. Uh, maybe I'll tell a short story. Maybe you can add about what... what, uh, what how can people um, get into doing things different in their community? There's, there's healing circles. Our criminal code allows for alternative uh, ways of dealing with uh, people that are Aboriginal in, in criminal offense. But I remember doing an intervention, and um, it was a government and it was a native group, and the um, government said, okay, we're finally at a point where we can have many meetings, and the native elder woman said, no, we're only going to have one meeting. So there was a little bit of a deadlock between having one meeting or many meetings. And I remember what I learned, you have to ask, what do you mean by many, by one meeting? And she said, there'll be one meeting under many moons. Mm. And that simple uh, turn of phrase was that you have to have consistency in the dialogue, and we break up the dialogue a bit um, from all the things you're, uh, you've learned about um, in terms of the Native communities. Do you want to add any more of those insights? Well, uh, one meeting under many moons. And in those meetings, it's also talking about the balance in our physical, our emotional, our mental well-being, as well as the spirit. And when it comes to uh, establishing a gathering between uh, First Nation communities and any other Indigenous communities around the world, often they take into consideration creating the space, space for the spirit for that story to come through. And it's in sharing the stories that people start hearing new insights and hearing um, what other choices they may have ahead of them, and start planning to work together. Often it's done around food, gatherings of food. Yes. It's one way of breaking that common ground and sharing. Yes, yes, I know in the Lebanese you got to have tabbouleh out if you want to start resolving uh, <laughs> issues and get some hummus out and all the rest of it. It's very important. And maybe, you know, Colleen, you might want to come in on this part, which i like to get to before the show's out on. You talk about interest-based principle negotiation and how different cultures come at it from a different perception. I remember at one point many years ago, I helped, um, they were designed the process because one of the problems with the negotiations, say, between the government and the native wasn't the issues, is how they talk about the issues. Mm -hmm. And so they did a workshop which started many, many, I think in the late 70s and early 80s, workshops where people came together to talk about how they're going to talk to one another, not how they're going to solve the issue and how, from a cultural perspective, the native group had a different way they'd have different people at the front line they'd have a whole group of people and the government always had one or two negotiators so that they needed to step back a bit mm -hmm. and say well how do we talk to one another what are our different perceptions and even today uh, if you don't mind me elevating the subject a bit because it's all one part all these um, 
uh, international stuff, and it's, it, there's no excuse for death threats and violence, but people do things that are considered uh, provocative or harassing or demeaning, and they react, and people say, well, you know, we have freedom of expression, and you're overdoing it, but I wonder if there's more to be said about stepping back and understanding how the other person thinks and feels and what principles they do, and how could we better bridge that gap, if I can call it, in these I think that's a really important piece, how we get to the table and sit down and talk with one another and creating the space around that. One of the things that I've heard you say in the past is the importance of language around conflict resolution. And sometimes we hear people saying, well, it's time to roll up our, our sleeves and pull yeah. out the dukes, and yeah. we're going to settle this matter as quickly as possible. Well, that certainly sets one tone. Otherwise, you could say, let's sit at the table and discuss what is happening and start exploring you know, that language, I, I, you know, Colleen, if you want to jump in on this, because this language issue is really important. Like, one word can mean so much. Like, I know we hear the expression, let's kill two birds with one stone. Why not feed two birds in one nest? You know, get the same idea out in a different phraseology that can change the whole atmosphere and how we talk. And one word can trigger so much. Um, and we have to be careful what we say because we can't take those words back, do we? And absolutely, and that's one of the reasons it's so important to have training in mediation so that when people in conflict are in front of the mediator, that person has been trained to reframe and restate. So when somebody says something that you know might raise the emotional level in the room, you, the mediator will feed it back as an understanding of their interest or their concern saying, you know, or I'm hearing a lot of emotion in that, you know, can you talk a little bit about more of that? And, and asking to explore and showing interest so that the information really comes out. The person might have said something hurtful, nasty, it doesn't really matter. It means, it means there's something there and, and you need to know what it is in order to get to something that will help them build or rebuild the relationship. You know, and all this information, I notice we have two other... Uh, well-known professionals room, Sheila McDonald and John Goodwin have stepped into the room and uh, welcome, it's good to see you and they're certainly part of the uh, leadership in trying to get this information out and this, um, this language business really intrigues me, we have a few minutes left but I know sometimes you do a mediation with a couple and I'll say, uh, although you're all speaking English, you also have another language just between you two, I don't know what it is, let me know. You know, yeah. is there a wink? Is there a, a is there a body gesture? Is there a phrase that means something to that person? So even though you're using English, I know each couple has their own language, and to be mindful of that and step back and think of those things. Yes, and you do have to be mindful of that. And one of the other things that mediators do is they model as a different way of, of resolving conflict and dealing with conflict, even if it's just listening. So often, if you have, you know, in relational conflict, you'll have two people in the room with you, and you'll see them doing their dance, the way that they do their conflict. And so you can sit back and you can, you know, you can ask questions about that and not only model, but, you know, help them see what it is they're doing and another way to do it because especially if there's other people involved, children, for example, they need to have another way. Well, you know, we've got a few minutes left. I want to pick up on one technique um, and this sort of clarification of what you really understood. And one of the great and um, inspirations I got was back in the late 80s when um, the first high school mediation program was launched and the students at Woodruff actually solved the conflict that was going to go into a pretty bad scene. And that week, if people remember in Halifax, there was a big fight in uh, the schoolyard that had to do with the black community. It got all the headlines, but the resolution of the conflict in Woodruff got no press. 
But CBC interviewed one of the high school students who went through the mediation, and he said he couldn't believe he had one person say to the other something, and he learned in the training to say, can you repeat what you just said, what you just heard? Right? They heard him listening. He said he couldn't believe that the person repeated what he said, uh, what the other person said. He said, I didn't say that. Right in front of him. He said, you know, it was like just re-clarifying what did you hear. And for me, these were the young people saying, my goodness, I couldn't believe it. We didn't really understand what we heard. Yes. And there's something about those basic points you'd like to comment on before we... Uh, it reminds me of that saying, I know you think you understand what you thought I said, but I didn't really mean, you know. It's just like that. Yes. And that's why you have to restate and clarify and ask the questions because what we hear, everybody has their own internal buttons and, and things that will press them or will make them think of other things and the person didn't necessarily mean it. Mm -hmm. And I think what we hear is also about um, what we hear with the body language that's going yes. on. It's not just the words itself. There was a study done where only 7% of what we communicate is in the words. And so, so much gets transmitted through the tone of voice and the presence and the attitude behind it. Yeah. And, you know, the um, Gary, do we have a couple minutes left? Actually, we have about one minute, and we have to wrap it up, Ernie. Okay, well, one minute's a long time. <laughs> uh, maybe one minute. Ernie, I guess, Ernie has an exercise. What is a minute? Yeah, how long? <laughs> Well, we'll talk about that uh, in the minute. Yeah, the next slide is uh, how long is a minute, and uh, thanks, Esther. As people close their eyes and they're told not to look at their watch and they can't count 1,000, 1,002, it's an old exercise for the art of listening, and people have to raise their hand and not open their eyes about how long is a minute, and some people raise their hand in 15 seconds. I stop at two minutes, and the idea is you think the time you have is the same as anyone else. It's not always the same. How long is a minute is different for each person. And we each have to come to resolving the problem on our own time. And there's the sound. <laughs> I love the it. Show. I love it. <laughs> Ernie, listen, congratulations to you. Congratulations to everybody who uh, who's put this mediation showcase together. It continues all day in, uh, at the National Arts Center. And uh, it's just been wonderful to be part of it all here on Chin Radio at 97.9. This is CJLL, Ottawa's multicultural voice, Chin Radio, 97.9.